presented by Ray's Occult Books in Greenwich Village, New York. Books on alchemy, astrology, apparitions, voodoo magic men, demon intercessions, UFO abductions, psychic surgeries, stigmata, modern miracles, pixie sightings, golden geese, geists, and ghosts. That is Ray's Occult Books. That was a lot. And next I week, and next week, hairless pets. Hairless <laughs> pets. Yep. Uh, I am Rylan Grant, uh, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant Banjax and now Suicide Jockeys. Uh, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right this time is... David Avaloni, filmmaker, comic book writer, IOTSE strike supporter, and fan of Ghostbusters 2 references. Tremendous fan. Uh, uh, I am also uh, uh, counted among the uh, IATSE uh, uh, supporters. Uh, union probably strong. Union member here. Um, so get her done, guys and gals. Uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, and John Lehman, and many, many more. I'm a list guy today. Uh, our entire catalog can be celebrated via uh, uh, sites and, uh, and, and and engines on another list like YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, blah, 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 and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. This is going uh, wrong very quickly. So double on back and check it out. Um, we have a great show uh, uh, today, a unique show, but let's get some uh, some plugs in uh, uh, and some more lists in before we go. Uh, Avalon, go ahead. I'm going to reduce my list to just one thing. Uh, I have Elvira meets Vincent Price currently out. Second issue should be in a uh, comic book store near you, unless it's sold out. And uh, issue three is coming in mid-October, appropriately enough. I would also like to, I'm going to plug Elvira's memoir, Cruelly Yours, which uh, is uh, blowing up around the internets for various revelations she has rebelled. <laughs> uh to the hungry audience, uh, but pick that up. It's it's amazing stuff. When I read Elvira's writing, I think, what does she need me for? And then I'm like, right, she's actually too busy to write comic books. Elvira is an ass kicker. Uh, yeah, more power to Elvira. Uh, and I, uh, today, am plugging uh, Suicide Jockeys, um, my, uh, my bonkers uh, tokusatsu joint. Tokusatsu for the uninitiated is the Japanese sci-fi action genre that includes things like Power Rangers and Super Sentai. Uh, uh, Suicide Jockeys, in a nutshell, is um, Fast and the Furious meets Voltron with an extra dollop of heart and soul. It is a howling mad good time. Um, I believe I uh, I got confused on the schedule uh, last week and said that issue two was dropping last week, but issue two is in fact dropping today. So as you listen to this, issue two is uh, is, is hitting shops um, uh, by now you will be able to read a, uh, a, 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 a very well done review by one of our guests today. Um, <laughs> and maybe I will point you to that review, uh, in the, um, in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, so look for that. Uh, but yeah, why don't we, um, why don't we stop jabbering and gibbering and, uh, Excellent. bring the guests on. Yeah. Welcome Kristen and Jason. Howdy, howdy. Welcome to the show, kids. Kristen, nice Muppet hey, arm. Hey, For those only those only listening on iTunes, you like missed, that? Missed <laughs> Muppet, yeah. Muppet arms, which are very uh, very in keeping with the energy of the show. Uh, Kristen, it. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Okay. Um, I currently am a bookseller, but I've been reading books, you know, regular books ever since I was a kiddo, but uh, comic books since I opened my first comic book box in 1983. So that is my favorite uh, form of uh, taking in media. Um, I also, by the way, wanted to tell you Elvira's book so far. Amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Obvious Elvira meets Vincent Price is super cool, too. Um, anyway, um, so uh, pop culture is my thing. I'm a collector of comics and pops and figures and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And I also do a podcast with two of my friends about pop culture, which is great, which is how we met David Avloni, which has been a treat. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And that's called Meanwhile at the Podcast? Yes. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile at the Podcast. I had a lot of fun doing it. And Jason, how about you? Hey, I'm Jason Bennett. I'm a writer and the chief editor at Pop Cult HQ. We're a pop culture entertainment media company that was founded in February of 2015. Um, our strongest concentrations and, and audiences are in comics, cosplay, and conventions. And that's where, you know, a lot of our uh, attention is given. Um, I conduct reviews, do interviews with creators, publishers, promote uh, various Kickstarter campaigns that may be going on, uh, attending conventions, interviewing people and, and promoting it. You know, it's just about, uh, you know, promoting the talent uh, that's out there in the comic book industry, uh, specifically for me and conventions. And, and then I have other staff members as well. So, uh, yeah, we um, we do some comic stuff. Not, not, not real... Um, not real run of the ordinary, you know, some of the stuff I'm, I'm still looking at ways to be a little innovative or new funky creative ways to do uh, promos for people. You know, we're just a, we're an entertainment company. We like to, you know, promote the things to help you celebrate your fandom. So very nice. And that was uh, that was why we wanted to bring you guys on and bring you on together. Uh, we were talking in the green room a little bit before we started about the the symbiotic relationship between the artist and the people who review and promote and make sure the the eyeballs get on the art. I know both of you uh, particularly are very active in promoting indie books, the books that need it. Uh, I think there are you know, enough websites out there talking about Batman. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, I, we're interested a little bit in the origin stories, I think. Uh, Kristen, how did you get started in the podcasting slash journalism promotion side of things. So, uh, like I said, I've been a comic book reader for a really long time. And about six years ago, I hung up the dental assistant hat and started working for a comic book shop, which was amazing. Um, and in doing so, I've gotten to meet a lot of wonderful creators. Um, the shop sponsored a con, so we got to have a bunch of amazing artists and writers and cosplayers uh, come in Um you were talking about the symbiotic relationship. Uh, I remember walking up to Tom King and Jason Aaron and being like, Hey guys, thanks for making comics so easy to sell. And he's, they're like, Oh wait, you work at a comic book shop. And they like, they actually had a great conversation with me. They're very nice and approachable. And I find most creators that I've met are. Um, and so that is a plus for me for sure to be able to have to interact with the creators. Cause you know, when you're, when you're growing up and you're reading comics, you know, they're just people in your head. But when I get to actually meet people like David um, and David Pepos and 
other people we've had on or I've met in the shop, like Pat Oswald, like super cool guy. And, and if I wasn't um, in the community that I'm in, I wouldn't have had those opportunities. So sure. I love going to local cons and talking to people about their books. Um, that's how I found out about David Pepos. Um, talked to him one time. He's a, a great writer as well. Um, but again, if I hadn't been to that con, I wouldn't have known, hey, we need to order his Spencer and Locke book, you know, like, so it is really great just going and talking to people because we all are into the same stuff for the most part. Um, so yeah, so I, I, and plus I love what you're doing right now too, David. I know I'm like constantly putting stuff on Twitter, um, but like I'm super loving your current, your current comic, Elvira Meets Thank Vincent you. Price. Um, I can't wait for the trade to come out so that I can actually order it for my current store because <laughs> we don't do single issues yet. Sure. Uh, but we did just get the shape of Elvira in. Thank you. Um, what's the yeah, so, What's the name of your current store and where is I it located? Barnes and Noble now. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the cool part about it is they put me in charge of the graphic novel manga section, which was like a big perk of working there. Oh, that sure. and the forty percent discount. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, I've kind of taken over for that part of the store and they've started to integrate me into social media which is awesome because now I can promote the books that they weren't promoting before sure. um, like for instance uh, yesterday they they did a post um, and I was holding Elvira's book that she just put out and your shape of water uh, shape of shape of Elvira book up and you know that went out and tons of people saw it and then we have people come in today and buy the books which was great that's great um, yeah so I, I love trying to, to help my friends do Kickstarters also uh, it's of course Marvel, the big two are great, but independent comics have just always been more appealing to me since I've been a grown up. Um, so yeah, that's much it. It is. It's great when a store has someone who actually gives a shit about the material and understands it in charge of it, instead right. of someone who's you know. I'm sure there are stores out there that have someone stocking those shelves who is openly hostile to the existence of comics. Oh, they all the are. Right? So it, it, they don't dislike comics. They just dislike having to take care of that section because they don't know enough about it. Sure. So they let me take over and I, I actually did alphabetize it, which they didn't do. Um, and I put DC and Marvel in one section, Independence in another. So it's easier to find. And, um, you know, like, like Squirrel Girl, for instance, she's a Marvel character. She's beat Thanos and Galactus. She's a really popular um, amazing character, but they didn't have anything in the store for her. And, and she's great to recommend, especially for like teenage girls. Right. Too. Um, so <clears throat> the cool part about it is they let me like what they call shortlist books. So I've just been in the computer, like typing away, like you need to order this book because it's awesome. You need to order this book because it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's really great because since they don't really know much about comics, they're like, sure. Yes. Yes. And so that's been a really awesome thing working for, um, you know, the, the smaller comic shop was my dream, but at least here I, I get to introduce a lot more people to a lot of great sure. stuff that I didn't have access to or the ability to order before. So, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we've talked before about this, um, you know, everybody had their local comic shop clerk that introduced them to all this goodness. I mean, for, for me, I was one of the kind of, you know, drones that got brought into a comic shop uh, during the death of Superman. You know, I, I, I needed that that comic and that black bag that I saw on the news that everybody was getting after. Um, but once I was in, I was in. You know, and and lucky for me, the image revolution was happening. Um, Vertigo started doing some amazing things, and it was it was a you know it was a comic shop clerk like you that said, "Hey, 
you don't want to read that garbage come you know <laughs> come read preacher come read 100 bullets uh they you know they uh, marvel made iron man an alcoholic in the 70s why don't you check that out um you know check out this this image book um and and that sort of curation that sort of guidance is is amazing the idea of being able to walk into a barnes and noble and get that um uh that that's incredible you know um somebody putting that sort of personal thought into it is really interesting so sign me the fuck up it's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, I yeah. really like it. And it's also exciting when you talk about a character or a certain book or whatever, and they buy it and then they come back for the next trade. It's like, you know, I, I got a feel for you. We had a little bit of a conversation. I could tell what you're into. I think this book is up your alley. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a Marvel or DC book. Check these out, you know. So, yeah, it, that's probably the best thing about my job altogether is being able to show people stuff they had no idea existed and that they just love. And like you said, then they're hooked. Nice. I'm I'm old enough to predate comic book shops a little bit. Uh, I was still buying them at the candy store, uh, which was a thing yeah. in the 70s. And I had an older friend... Uh, I was not a fan of Jack Kirby when I was a kid. And I had an older friend about five years older who saw me reading the Micronauts and said, you know, I, I've got something that's better than Micronauts for you. Uh, and, uh, and it really changed my life and changed my feeling about reading comic book. And I was never a superhero guy and, and Kirby kind of got me interested in that world in a way that I had never been interested I mean, a Kurt Swan Superman book, I had a couple when I was a kid, and they were nice, but they didn't really, there was something very, his art was amazing, but there was something very bland about the storytelling in them, and they didn't really, I read one and I never went, I have to find out what happens next week or next month. I was like, I imagine what happens next month will be very much like what happened this month. Right. I don't, I don't really think that this is going to, you know, go, go anywhere particularly. But uh, Jason, how did you get involved in, in, this, in this kind of work? Uh, by luck, really. You know, I, um, I've been into comic books since about 10 years old. So around 1983. So a lot of what I grew up on was X-Men and uh, Spider-Man and lot, mostly Marvel. But I would get them at like a spinner rack at the 7-Eleven or, right. you know, the Circle K or whatever. And um or like drug stores that had magazine racks. Um, and I'd been in and out of it with collecting. I, I lived with the guy who owned the comic shop. So I worked there for a while. Um, but really uh, with Pop Cold HQ and how it became so focused on there is we were founded in uh, February 19, I'm sorry, February uh, 2015. And I was originally brought on to just be in an editing role. And then I just started taking on, I was getting really interested. Um, our founder, uh, Manny Popaka, he, um, he had already started a lot of these relationships with, we just formed a relationship with Aftershock who had just launched like the week before, you know, and some of these, uh, some of these other, uh, these indie publishers. And so a lot of what we did was cover indie comic news. And I started writing more, uh, on top of it, along with Manny and some others. And, and then it turned into now attending conventions and covering the event, doing interviews. And I remember my first 
my first event uh, in November of 2015 was Wizard World Reno. And my first two interviews ever were John Boy Myers before he like really blew up and Neil Adams. So, you know, I had this spectrum on, you know, up and comer and uh, here's this uh, living legend. Um, and learning about the role that I could play working for a, a pop culture media company at, at these events, interviewing and promoting people. Uh, it made, really made for a, a unique and appealing uh, aspect of the job. The following year in June of 2016, um, Manny died. And me and Gal April, who lives up in Chicago area, we just had, we didn't know what to do. And we just said, you know what? We got to keep this going. This is meaning something. This man, he founded this. He built it on these certain principles, you know, no clickbait articles, no rumors, no gossip, just straight stuff, you know, people can enjoy that. It's not, you're not bringing people down by talking about, you know, uh, harassment suits and stuff. We just want to focus on the entertainment and the love of uh, various aspects of popular culture and the comic book industry. Uh, so we move forward. I started making these connections with other publishers. We brought on Boom and IDW, and it just kept going. And uh, I've been, this is now into my seventh year, and, you know, it's it's still pretty much the same. We, we focused mostly on independent uh, creators because this is where the star talent is going to come from. This is where they're going to start. They're going to be in this part. You know, I could go and interview Dan Slott or, you know, Tom King or whoever. And yeah, that'd be fine. But in reality, how much is that really helping what he's doing at the level that he's at? And then, so a lot of my interviews have been with, you know, uh, Ron Benkatesen, who I had like four interviews before he even started, uh, before he really blew up. Uh, great guy. Um, a lot of people just early on and it's like the big two are nice. They have a lot of titles and, and well-known established characters and stuff, but I wanted to be able to use our platform as a way to show that there's more talent out there. There's more ideas out there. There's more ingenuity and just remarkably creative people that are putting out stuff that people may not be aware of. So that's mostly what our platform's been about as far as the comic book uh, industry and focus uh, for us at Popcorn HQ. It's, you know, doing what we can to get the word out about uh, great projects that are happening, creators who are just doing some amazing things, publishers who are, who are up and coming and really making some good waves in the, in the industry. And, you know, I mean, I think every Kickstarter spotlight interview I've done has been like, you know, someone who's, isn't a big two person yet. Um, you know, and it's, that's basically it. That's it. Really. We just want to continue to provide a platform where we can work with creators and help them promote things, uh, you know, that they may not have as, as many opportunities as, as some of the larger names will. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of publishers, 
a lot of talent out there and it's tough to get in, you know, get your foot in the door, get some exclusive contract with Marvel or DC. So, you know, you, you see, you start, you start seeing the people who are really rising to the top of this, who are taking advantage of things. Uh, pandemic was a great, um, no, it wasn't great. Uh, it, it was excellent. It, it did made, it did make for a moment where you, where you realized, okay, what's going to happen with the comic book industry here? Are they going to sit back and just let this pandemic thing and, and just kind of, you know, just sit and wait for things to happen? Or are there going to be people that are going to, you know, make some moves and take advantage of this, look, look for new ways to promote and stuff like that. So we wanted to go and embrace that and help people realize that despite the pandemic, despite the cancellation of conventions for a year, year and a half, there's still talent out there. There's still ways to connect with these people, especially when you have like a Kickstarter campaign where you can message backers and things like that, uh, social media and things like that. Um, we just wanted to be able to continue to have that option and that availability for anyone within this industry that's looking to promote something because our site is about helping people celebrate what they enjoy. You enjoy comics, you enjoy sci-fi, do enjoy, you know, cosplay or whatever. And we've always made sure that what we do at PopCode HQ isn't about, it's not for us. It is for us as fans, but what we do isn't with the intent of trying to blow up, trying to be, you know, look at what we're doing. It's about putting that talent first and just saying, Hey, check these people out. You haven't heard of them? Here's, you know, or how, however we can promote. I've tried so many different promotions. Ryland's been part of a number of them with, you know, <laughs> it's optional videos, cruising comic comic creators. We've done uh, a number of shows. I, I mean, yeah, we can do a lot there, but uh, it's, uh, it, there's a real, Nearly every week, I can I don't know if I'd say every day, but nearly every week I have a moment where I feel really blessed and really uh, thankful that I play a, a little bit of a role within this industry that I can um, promote people and and share the share the big things that are happening within the industry and just kind of you know putting the spotlight on that on their titles on on the creators themselves. And it's really, um, for me, it's, it's a perfect job for me because I've always done well in a role where I kind of stay behind the scenes, making things happen and making other people look good in the process. That's where I excel. I don't need the spotlight on me. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to watch me, but, um, you know, I get the spotlight on these people and, and do what I can to really to say, you know, take a closer look at, at some of these people. I come from a really artistic family. So whenever I do reviews, whenever I just even look to review copies, um, I'm always just uh, in love with the format and how creative teams come together collaboratively, how it's not just a writer and an artist, on, you know, how everyone's role plays into uh, the creation of, of what people can pick up online or, um, you know, at their local comic shop. So just real thankful that we have a platform that we can, you know, make this available and do what, do what we can on our part to help promote um, all the stuff that's going on out there. 
Well, yeah, and and we talked, you know, we talked in the green room a little bit about the symbiotic relationship between guys like us, meaning Avalone and I, and and folks like you, um, meaning Jason and Kristen. Um, you know, there is this ecosystem in comics, right? Like we we sort of need one another to do what we do. If we couldn't promote our books, no one would know about them. Nobody would buy them. No one would highlight them. Uh, and and from what you guys do, if there weren't people like us to come on your podcast or to uh, to you know to uh, you know uh, you know to, to to come give interviews, to come uh, you know pimp our books with, then you guys wouldn't have any content, right? And and so it is this kind of happy exchange of things. And and I'm just I'm so happy. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of promoting suicide jockeys right now and source point press is a, you know, a great, you know, middle tier publisher and they've been awesome. Um, but let me tell you, if it is not big two, uh, and occasionally boom, it is really hard to get anyone to care, uh, in, 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 in the world of journalism. Um, you know, I, I think I said this on, on Facebook, uh, uh, earlier this week, it's like the, the apathy is harder to handle than the vitriol sometimes, you know, <laughs> if somebody covers it and says it's crap, I like that better than having my, my email ignored because it's not fucking Iron Man. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, Kristen and I are just, just meeting. Um, but, but, you know, Jason has been and pop cult HQ has been this safe harbor for me. Um, and they have been incredible. And when I, whenever I've had to get the word out on anything, they have been an enthusiastic, partner and i you know i come to jason and i'm like hey what weird crazy thing can we do this time so and it becomes an event for the book it becomes an event for the site um and more you know more than that we have a great time doing it um and it's like jason said you know we've we've done we've done promotions where we we give things away we give a, a retailer pack away to a comic shop we've done interviews we've done panels um, the thing you left out, the coolest thing, is that we uh, we have done um, uh, exclu- uh, site exclusive covers. Um, for those who don't know, we did our our Iron Man Demon in a Bottle, which I referenced earlier, uh, uh, special Ringo Awards variant for uh, for Banjax, which is still <laughs> still available on uh, on ShopCultHQ, uh, right? Dot com. Um, yes, it is. Uh, and yeah, that's done by the creative team of Banjax. Yeah, and then, and then um, yeah, and then we have our our, our weekend at Bernie's uh, uh, aberrant cover, which was also a, a, a kind of a Ringo, uh, um, uh, you know, exclusive um, done by the the creative team of of aberrant, but also of Suicide Jockeys. So go get those. But but anyway, um, I mean, for me, it's like again, it, it is so much work. It, it is it is more work promoting the thing and trying to get people to know about it and, 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 and to find it, uh, that is, is, is harder work. I spend more time doing that than I do actually creating the books. Um, and that is a, that's a shame to a certain degree because, you know, because I am a, I am a writer, I am a creator by trade. And so I should be writing and creating and, and, and not sending out a thousand emails that don't get answered. Um, and so what's nice is that, you know, this is my, uh, Suicide Jackies is my fifth book now. Um, after a period of time, after you put five books out, you find your safe harbors, um, and it becomes less work. And it becomes, and the work you put in actually amounts to something in the end. You're not you're not spending nights sending out emails again that aren't going to get uh, uh, responded to. You go to a guy like Jason, and you're like, Hey, Jason, this is what I want to accomplish. Like, 
uh, what can we arrange that would also be good for the site and let's have fun doing this and let's bring this other creator in and promote their work and, and, and all of that stuff. And then it becomes this fun comics party. You know, uh, I, I, I think this is a journey um, and it's about who you kind of invite onto the boat with you. Right. And so, uh, so, um, you know, again, like I, I, I met Avalone, you know, uh, you know, a few years back and we kind of hit it off and I recognized him as a fellow traveler. Somebody I wanted in the boat with me. And when it came time to launch this podcast, there wasn't a question. He was my first call. Right. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and so you sort of find these running mates, right. Um, uh, and, and I'm, I, anyway, I'm interested in exploring that, uh, uh, here in this discussion. I think the, that that's so the, important. Uh, we, I've done a couple of conventions where I talk about networking, which I think is a vastly misunderstood, uh, phenomenon. People think of it as being very job and money focused when I always say it's very friend and relationship focused. Yeah. And I start off by saying comics is a community, uh, but I also kind of paraphrase J JFK and say, ask not what you can do for comics, ask what comics can do for you. And I really, you know, in that sense- Other way around, right? Yeah. <laughs> what? I, 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 I think you got those transposed, ask, oh, right? Ask it's, not uh, what yeah. comics can do for you, ask what you can do for me. comics. Yeah. <laughs> But, but, you know, not to, not to lean, lean heavily into the cliches, but it's, it is ultimately most rewarding to create this community around yourself. And it's not, if it's just a community of fellow writers and artists and, you know, letter, letterers and colorists and editors, you're missing out on an enormous part of the community, which is also the journalists and the retailers and the cosplayers and the fans. And they're really, you know, scratch a, scratch a writer or an artist and you'll find someone who's been going to convention since they were 10 years old and has, and has worn a, worn a costume every once in a while and has been a, been a super fan. And I, you know, Jason said something interesting about, you know, the future of, the big two is in indie comics. And I think that's that's truer now than it's ever been because there are ways for indie creators to make, when my buddy Kevin did it in the eighties, no one had done it before except, except Dave Sim pretty much. When anyone can do it now with a Kickstarter, with social media, with going to conventions, you know, I think it's, it's changed the thing. And the talking to some of the older creators there used to be a pipeline where you'd start working for Marvel in the mailroom because you wrote letters and there was a more organic, you know, envelope stuffer to guy writing amazing Spider-Man. That no, I'm pretty sure that's gone forever now. Uh, the, the big two having any kind of internal promotion program, I think is, pretty much a dead thing. Uh, no one's getting promoted out of the letter columns anymore. I don't even know that comics have letter columns anymore. Um, so you do have to make your own thing. And just like, much like in the movie industry, uh, the studios sometimes notice you, sometimes they don't, for making your own thing. You know, there was a whole generation of, uh, you know, any director that 
is working out there who has final cut and who has any kind of control over their work, they have it because they started with it. They have it because they made their own films. And when the industry comes to you with a contract in their hand, you can say, but I already have final cut. I, I actually don't need you to give that to me. Uh, and that's always the best way to approach any employment situation is not what what can you grant me so much as what can you do better than I'm already doing? Right. You know, sure. and uh, you know, Eastman and I did Drawing Blood as a Kickstarter, frankly, because we didn't we took it to publishers and we didn't like what they offered. Yeah. And we're like, you know what, we don't actually need this. And the the irony is I've made you know, just talking about money, I've made a lot more money doing Kickstarters than I ever have working for publishers. Uh, it's a better deal for me on every on every level, except it's so much more work. It's a better, you know, sometimes you are exhausted and you say, yeah, sure, that page rate's fine. Just I don't want to have to manage another Kickstarter for 30 days, you know. But all of that would go nowhere if we didn't have the support of sites like pop cult HQ of podcasts like meanwhile back at the podcast. It's uh, it's great that we now live in a world where we can all do all of this stuff on our own. You know, Ryland and I didn't ask anyone's permission to start a podcast. We've spent, I think not even a nickel promoting it or getting anyone to listen to it, but we have, we have some listeners out there now. And, uh, but the best way to keep that stuff rolling is to go on other people's podcasts and to write for other people's websites and to, you know, just in general, promote the work of people you like and admire. Yeah, exactly. And I think with the Marvel DC thing, um, which is actually beneficial to indie creators is that they kind of have a real model kind of laid out how, a lot of their projects need to go. Everyone's kind of, you get into the indie scene, there's a lot more freedom, freedom to ex be more expressive, freedom to, uh, to explore things a little bit more. And many publishers willing to, uh, you know, allow that for their creative teams to kind of get their wings out there and really showcase what they can do. Uh, and I think that's really important with the indie scene that, you know, you're not getting something that's, oh, well, they're not going to do this because, you know, it's Marvel and, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to give off anything bigger than a PG rating or something. But, um, you know, Indies is where it's at. You're going to get your different stories. You're going to get things that you didn't realize were uh, impressive in comic book format and entertaining in that way, like ones that are more violent or horror comics or you know, some sci-fi comics and, and a lot of these properties like IDW who works with, you know, Transformers and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, you know, Last Ronin and everything like that, that they're, you know, they're, there's so much out there pretty much for any kind of fan. And it's just, you know, being able to, to show, show people what's out there. I know with this pandemic, it was a lot of people they're like okay you know pencils down or whatever they were whatever they were saying last year and some people just put their pencils down and they're struggling or struggled comic shops did the same thing when they all had to shut down some of them just folded but then there were the others in in both instances uh creators and like comic shops who said 
change is going to happen. So if I either embrace this and do something about it, or I'm going to get swallowed up and, and, and kind of, you know, lose myself in this. And so you saw more comic shops finally getting online. Uh, you see, uh, you know, different ways of uh, that people can promote, especially with crowdfunding. You know, once we heard pencils down, then you started seeing, like I saw, you know, Ryland and Pepos and everyone uh, starting going the Kickstarter route. You saw that there were alternate ways that we really hadn't embraced in uh, as an industry. And now that platform is maybe not the new normal, but it's an added way to help get the word out, get these projects. Right. You know, even with the conventions closed, people would go spend money on Kickstarters because, well, they'd spend it at a convention. There's no money to go. So, and you can interact with the creator and, and it, it's, it's a, it's a more, uh, it's a better relational, um, you know, concept. And, you know, that's a big part of this industry. It's not just, oh, there's a comic book on the rack. Oh, or someone wrote it and someone drew it. There's so much to the industry, the importance of local comic shops and pre-ordering, why that's such a big deal and so important to do. Uh, you know, how to, how to promote on crowdfunding, how to run things on social media. It's, it's also adapting to things that are happening within our overall culture that we can use towards the comic book industry in promotion or connecting with, with new creators. Like I know where Ryland has a, a lot of people from different countries, you know, uh, you know, in Brazil and, and, and all over. So it's, you just had to be willing to accept and embrace a new way of doing things. Not that the old way isn't going to continue, but there's a lot more out there. And I think it, it, it's really good for up and coming creators, people new to the industry who want to dabble their foot in to really get some experience in doing things like that. So they learn, you know, comics is a bigger deal. It's not, you know, okay, Marvel and DC, yeah, they get the books out and do a lot of the promotion, but, you know, what's your publisher doing for you? What's, uh, you know, how do you fulfill campaigns for, for Kickstarters and, and build those relationships? And, you know, uh, you know you're going to run into problems running campaigns, things you wouldn't think of, you know, what could go wrong. But a lot of that is just, it's, it's imperative for the growth of that creator and, and their direction with uh, what they want to do in this industry. And it's nice being able to have all that currently right now. And the, and the people who are, who are um, managing that in their, in their new way of uh, putting out the uh, titles and projects that they're doing. Yeah. Well, like, you know, the pandemic, awesome because oh, go ahead, Chris. Oh, sure. I was going to say, I think Kickstarter is awesome because like you were saying, you can sort of be involved with uh, watching the whole process, you know? And then also I think as a creator, you know, like, wow, people are actually into this. They're supporting my project. And so I think it's been a wonderful thing. Um, so bring it on for Kickstarter. Like, I just want to make sure that, you know, a lot of those things that are independent through Kickstarters can be made into trades that can be sold, sold at like stores. Cause sometimes, you know, you miss out on that opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I love Kickstarter and yeah, I think that's great. You know, the, the, I was about to say the pandemic was a stress test for all of society and comic books are a part of society like everything else. And there were a lot of things that were barely functioning. There were a lot of things that were 
cruising on sheer inertia and you couldn't do those things anymore. Uh, Jason said earlier about, you know, I was talking to uh, Ryan Leibowitz of Golden Apple and he was talking about how much of Golden Apple's stuff is online now. How much right. sales they, they do online. They just, they just upgraded their website design like a week or two ago too. Yeah, yeah but it was some, but I kind of doubt had there been no pandemic, they may have never quite gotten around to that. Or it well, wouldn't have been as well, important. Well, you got to figure it's, it. It was 2020. If they didn't have a website, the internet's been around since 1990. Okay, so if in that 30 years you haven't, you know, put your storefront oh, yeah. online as an additional source of re revenue, at least you're probably not going to. So yeah, that that pandemic was a kick in the the butt to a number of people to really, and, you know, and, hey, you know, and, take it and, on yeah. or. Enough of a kick in the butt that DC is no longer with Diamond. You know, the, the kick in the butt was across all. Uh, I was going to say earlier that, you know, aside from indie comics being able to deal with all sorts of the, it's not just subject matter, it is also just the sheer freedom of it. And, you know, the, w w an artist take, takes advantage of freedom uh, in perspective to their talents. Sometimes people need a strong control. Sometimes people need an editor. Um, I reread the first 12 issues of the Turtles fairly recently for something I was working on. And my first thought, like issue three was like, holy shit, did these guys not have an editor? Like the Turtles are in outer space by issue four. <laughs> a real editor would have said, guys, could they fight ninjas in New York City for like a year and a half? Was this the 84 series? Yeah, before we get... Okay. Before we get to dinosaurs in outer space, could we just do some like martial arts in New York? Like they jumped from yeah. Daredevil to Star Wars, like literally within two, three issues. And it's well, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the funny thing is like when they, when, ooh, I'm here to Hugh Jack over there. Um, okay, yeah, okay. It's, uh, all right. um, when they did the, when they did the CGI to, uh, animated series, like I think that, the you know the um the space stuff was like it was a a, a full season to itself and it was like season five you know right. um you know and, and, right, then, and then the, the other thing executive is, knows yeah. you don't yeah. start with the space stuff that's crazy that makes no sense yeah. you got to get the don't, audience lulled into familiarity with all of the stories and plot lines and then you can start doing parallel universes and triceratons don't they kill Shredder in issue one? Or am I remembering no, it wrong? Yes, they, they kill Shredder it? dies in issue one. And it yeah. took him about two, yeah. three years to go, yeah. you know, we have to bring him back. Yeah. Everybody's going to want him back. He's <laughs> but it was supposed to be a one shot. They yeah, had no yeah. plans to make a second issue of it. But I, there is my point being that the freedom to go, ah, screw it. Dinosaurs in outer space in issue four. I don't give a shit. Whatever. Uh, that's that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, Dynamite, who I work for, is a small publisher, and they do not really exercise any or much of any uh, editorial control on me. I control myself to the degree, you know, there's stuff I know will fly and stuff I know won't fly. But, uh, you know, and it's that thing of, like, the rates aren't great, but, you know, someone once told me, like, well, you know, Dark Horse would th pay you three times as much. I say, they'd also make me rewrite it five times, <laughs> uh, which Dynamite very much does not do. So, 
you know, and, and I feel sorry for There's anyone working, you know, the, the big legacy. I always kind of whisper this into microphones at conventions, but I would rather write Betty Page than Batman <laughs> because it hasn't all been done before with Betty Page. Yeah. You know, right. I always use it as an example, of the Fantastic Four. If, you know, if they called me tomorrow and said, write the Fantastic Four, by the end of the week, I would come up with something that I was excited about. But my initial reaction would be, I guess they could fight Dr. Doom again or some shit. I don't, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm just exhausted thinking about it. And look, it's part of the gig is like, take these characters that have been overexposed for 60 years and figure out a new thing to do with them and try not to have your new thing just be uh alan moore is a lot to answer for in this because he's good at everything you know is wrong but most writers are really bad at everything you know is wrong and you know swamp thing was never really alec holland was a brilliant way to approach that character but now you get krypton never really exploded or maybe bruce wayne's parents aren't dead i don't know what do you what do you want to do and that's a that stuff can just get so exhausting and it's so freeing yeah. to not have to care about 80 years or 50 years of continuity well not yeah not have to not to mention uh yeah all the canon you know and all those times they've reset things is this the new 52 batman is just the you know it, it's sometimes it can be a bit much but look at the success that indie comics are bringing to entertainment you have stuff like the boys doing really well on um on uh streaming and i think that's uh, amazon, amazon that has the boys yeah. is that Am is it amazon yeah amazon yeah. prime um yeah you know they brought on uh how were well, the walking dead you have i mean just all these things that are they're taken out of there's other non-superhero stories out there and uh it's well stumpdown really was a great example of an indie comic no superheroes i would bet you that 99 percent of the people that watch stumptown didn't watch the credits closely enough to know they were watching a comic book show oh yeah there's you know, a like, no, it's about a lady detective in portland why on earth would that be a comic book show well, and but that's, you made a comic out of that? and that's what I've, I've told people all the time and i've always said to my parents and their friends I'm like, look, the Hollywood industry is really going to look towards the comic book industry for a lot of things because there's so much storytelling that's been done. There's so many, you know, uh, uh, there's so many arcs and events and things like that that could be adapted into either television, film, a streaming series, you know, or just a one-off that they don't have to invest in coming up with it. They just need to go out there and find, you know, some of the, the interesting titles and, and, you know, like, like, Oh, what's this nail biter, you know, or, Oh, what's this, you know, and you, uh, they see this and, and it does get that opportunity of um, get more exposure, not just for the creators, but for, you know, for that IP itself. Yeah. Like, well, we've, we've talked about that before, but it's, you know, it, it always baffled me prior to the MCU it always baffled me that every superhero movie re had to reinvent the wheel. They had to come up with their own story. I'm like, but there's decades of good Batman stories. Why did you right. need to not just do one of those, man? And well, it, I'll tell you, you know, this is why, why Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be huge. Because yeah. if you look at... All the all the superhero films and TV series throughout time, it's always like, 
oh, well, here's Keaton's Batman. And oh, now we have Christian Bale. So those those stories don't interconnect. That was a different person. They did it with, you know, here's, you know, uh, uh, Superman has gone through a, a number of different actors. And we'll finally get to a point where we even had that with, oh, these are the Garfield movies and these are the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, but they don't count in the MCU. And now we're getting this multiverse coming where you're seeing that those movies did actually matter and will play a role in this expanding where it's not just like, oh, I enjoyed them, but I can't relate anything. I I feel like it was such a goofy thing, but the DC, the CWDC shows when they did their Crisis on Infinite Earths, I think that was one of the first times, it may have been the first time that a company like that went, no, this is all just a multi, this has been a multiverse all along. Yeah. All along. Michael Keaton's Batman does actually exist in this continuity and Christian Bale's does and all of it. And, you know, it's a great way to use all of that material and not discard any of it. And of course, comic book fans have been doing, you know, Earth 2 through Earth 600 and whatever (laughs) since the 60s. It's a very old concept, but I think it's funny that Marvel and DC are both kind of selling the multiverse to their audiences right now as a way of going, no, 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 it's all valid. (laughs) Whatever you loved, that was also valid. You like the the flash on TV? Valid. You like the guy in the movies? Valid. You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to let you have all of it. Uh, Which is a, it's a very smart, it's a very smart way to do it, do it. And we'll see into the spider verse was sort of the first inkling that, yeah, an audience will sit still for a movie with five Spider-Men and a Spider-Lady and you know, I Doc Ock is a whole lot of explanation of how this actually happened. Yeah, um, and a spider pig. Don't forget. <laughs> yes, awesome. Yeah, Spider Ham. Yeah. Yeah. No, all of that. You know, and again, that stuff we we're used to and we grew up with. And you know, the hope is that you get people then digging into the back issues, going, "Wait, where I can actually read a Spider Ham comic book? That's a thing. That's yeah. a real thing." And I, you know, I, I've talked about it before on the show. I love. Uh, Probably my favorite DC product since Superman the movie is the Harley Quinn series. And one the of my favorite things with yeah. Coco? Okay. Yeah. One of my favorite things about that series is they will introduce the most idiotic, ridiculous character. And then and my wife is like, Oh, that's hilarious. And I'm like, actually from the comic books. Like this is not <laughs> Kite Man is a joke, but no. <laughs> He really exists and his name really is Charlie Brown in the comic books. That is a true, that is a true thing. And just mining all that stuff endlessly, you know, cyborgman. It's like, yeah, I don't think my wife believed King Shark was a real thing until I said, no, actually, it's all over the comic books, man. You can't mm-hmm. get away from King Shark. Um, so it's, you know, that, that, uh, and I, and I think some of it, does come from to bring things back around to our topic a little bit. Someone finally noticed that the fans have always loved this stuff and maybe what appealed to the fans would actually appeal to a wider audience. Cause ultimately I think that was always the problem is you go to make a Batman movie and maybe someone in the room says, Hey, let's shoot Batman year one. Why don't we let's shoot, you know, the killing joke, let's shoot whatever. And everyone goes, no, man, that's, you know, that's for comic book fans. We need to make a movie that's going to appeal to movie fans. 
and you know 20 years of the mcu or whatever i think people finally went you know what maybe the stuff in comic books we just shoot that and that'll also be good well i think we're also in a good time with the industry where where more people are uh celebrating their love and knowledge of comics celebrities are it's not just like a kid thing anymore or a geek living in in his mom's basement or something celebrities are going out you know you keep seeing nicholas cage spending millions on books and you know uh Stephen Colbert talks comics all the time on his talk show, you know, so it's, it's become more culturally accepted. And I think that's what makes uh, uh, just for a great time in this, in this industry, in this era where uh, we can really showcase more of that. To, uh, if people, since people are more accepting uh, to the medium. Absolutely. But we still, I, you know, the, the challenge, and I think it's something that, websites like yours uh podcasts like yours we do need to expand our readership the readership is still microscopic and it's so out of pace with the rest of the world with how comic books are viewed in italy france england japan anywhere you want to go comic books are a bigger deal than they are here which is ironic since we're the ones making all the movies yeah well yeah and it used to be where comic book shops were everywhere you would find comics everywhere in Fred Meyer or various mini marts, and it's gotten to a point now where there's this new generation of kids who are in, in you know enjoying the MCU. They don't know about their early starts. There's hardly any comic shops around, not mm-hmm. not being exposed to them as much. Um, I know that would really go a long way in in reaching more fans. It's just availability is you know when DC went and work that deal with Walmart is like, okay, you're now bringing, that's something that could be really good here because now you're attracting a larger audience and giving it available to making it to more people um, who just happen to be, you know, in the store that day. Yeah. I think, and I think like what you, what you do for sure. And like also just being, you know, at the bookstore and being able to be like, I have a shirt that says comics are for everyone. And I'll get like, uh, no, they're not. I'm like, no, they are. Tell me what you're into. And then you can talk to someone who wasn't a comic book reader before. And then they realize, oh, okay, actually, cool. So there's a way to get readership that way, too. Because so many people who don't realize that they like comics just haven't been exposed to them yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's sometimes. Go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, sometimes you would have to dip into, you know, there was a real underground comic scene uh, in the 80s and early 90s where, you know, some things that may have been considered too taboo for various publishers. Now it's to the point there really isn't that underground industry anymore because there has been uh, more opportunities for people to just go out and put out what they like and not have the constraints of a larger publisher that wants to kind of take the reins in some of it where uh, these newer people can get. I mean, like one of my first comic books, I mean, other than like like Nom from Marvel, that really Blew me, blew me away that you could tell a story about Vietnam in a comic book format, and it really reached me. It was like, wow, this is really impressive. But like, even like some of my early indie stuff was too much Coffee Man, uh, just these bizarre titles. But they, they were just, it was something different. And it was, you know, there's, just, there is something for everyone. You know, yeah. My wife is obsessed with uh, Rick Geary's True Crime historical comics. I don't know if you've seen any of those. But 
Rick does a new volume every couple of, every year, every couple of years. <clears throat> and he's an incredible cartoonist and he recreates these true crime stories, you know, be it Lizzie Borden or Jack the Ripper or whatever. And they're great. And they're these self-contained things and they are completely unique in, to, in and of themselves. Uh, they have no relationship to, you know, there's no superheroes. There's nothing like that. But yeah, there's, it, I remember what Alan Moore said about, uh, and he's right that, you know, the infantilizing of comic books because of the Frederick Wortham thing, you know, when comics literally had to just be superheroes for a while and we still haven't a hundred percent recovered from that. And even though there are still a wide variety of comics on any topic you could possibly yeah. name, you still get the idiot once a year writing the bang, boom, pow, comics aren't just for kids anymore article that was out of date in 1975, yeah. you know, that was a joke in 1975. I remember Harlan Ellison wrote a, uh, an essay for Playboy magazine in the 80s about Watchmen and Dark Knight and American Flag and, you know, Dave, Sa you know, about all the indie comics. And even that was just like, you, you have to tell this audience that comics are worth reading for adults, but well, it's, I mean, it, it, it's you need to know where you need to know where to look. You know, I mean, it, it exactly. was when I was a kid. You know, if I wanted to find my indie films, if I wanted to find Robot Jocks or or Trancers or Puppet Master, you know, I, I went down to the video store, and there was a certain video store that really specialized in carrying that stuff. And you looked at the racks, and you saw a box that was cool, and and, and you did that. Um, it was a similar thing with comics back then. You know, you had to go to the right shop. But like, if you went to the right shop, you found Man-Eating Cow and Paula Samurai and Undead Zombie Biker Chickens from Hell and, you know... Reed uh, Fleming, uh, World's Toughest Milkman. Yeah, my, my first and favorite, of course. Thank you for, for, for reminding me. Reed Fleming. It, yeah, I, I, that, was, that, was my, that was actually my first comic book. My first really? comic book. Uh, yeah, there was a... Um, uh, my... Um, I used to... But, you know, my mom was in a league, and so I would go to a bowling alley every Wednesday night, and I would play the video games. Well, at some point, a comic shop opened up in, like, the annex corner of the pro shop in the bowling alley. And a couple of kids that I hung out with there, we ended up kind of wandering in, and we're looking at all these comics, and at that point, I'm, I'm not interested in Superman or, or, or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like a great comic shop owner is like, Hey kid, <laughs> I've been talking to you here. I think I have, I, I, I got an idea of your sense of humor. Try this. And he hands me the first oversized issue I'm looking for. Cause it's not around here somewhere. The first oversized issue of Reed Fleming, the world's toughest smoke man. Um, and I, I, I lost, you know, I thought comics were bang pow superhero stories. And this is about a drunken, like philandering, like, you know, dirtbag of a milkman. <laughs> I mean, it's like the, the the first couple of pages is he's drinking a bottle of rye whiskey while while kind of careening in his his milk truck. Um, he's got to make a delivery. He pulls up onto this woman's lawn. Uh, uh, he stumbles out. Um, the milk has been completely like shattered to pieces, but he's still trying to deliver it to her. And she's like, you know, I'm not paying for that. And he grabs her and he says. <laughs> 73 cents or I'll piss in your flowers. Um, and I, I was, I was fucking hooked. I'm like, Oh my God, like this is fucking bonkers. Yeah. Um, uh, comics can be anything and everything. And, and, um, and that's still the case. It's just that, you know, it's like you say, like, uh, like, you know, things dry up, like a video store dries up. Um, 
comic shops have necessarily over the years gotten a lot more selective about what they carry. Um, every once in a while, you'll find a shop. I, I have a shop near me in Pasadena, um, the Comics Factory, that carries everything. You know, like if, if somebody tells you, like, hey, you should check out this weird indie book that no one's ever heard of, if you go to the Comics Factory, it will be there. Um, uh, most shops are like, okay, well, I carry Big Two and some Image and some Boom. You know, th- 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 that's about it. Um, uh, you know, but you just need to know where to look. So, so like right. the. You know, the, the, the Reed Fleming of today is on Kickstarter, right? Um, you will find that in the artist's alley of a con. Um, uh, this is where you find that stuff. You just need to know where to look. Um, the beauty of what has happened, um, you know, over time, but particularly in the last five years, is that it has gotten remarkably, I, 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 I almost always say, you know, easier but it's never easy to do this, but it's gotten more possible to do this, right? Um, uh, you know, it used to be that you were dealing with physical drawings, like you had to know an artist in your town if you couldn't draw. Um, all of that was very difficult. I tried to make a comic book back in college and I fell flat on my face because I didn't have the, I didn't have the artist relationships, the resources. I, didn't, I couldn't deal with the physical drawings. Now, like, you know, cut to, uh, you know, a few years later and all the workflow is digital um uh you have these like massive uh um communities online like uh connecting comic book writers and artists on on, on facebook that has like thirty five thousand members and it's just a gallery of artists being like hey i need money hire me to do something um and so cut to a few years later of course and now i have you know five comic titles out and uh more in the works and i have artists working for me in, in Hungary and in uh, uh, Mexico and in Brazil. Uh, um, my go-to colorist is in Indonesia. My letterer is in the UK. I communicate with them almost exclusively via email. I pay them via PayPal. Uh, uh, we exchange massive uh, files uh, uh, via Dropbox. Um, it is It is so much, again, not easier, but so much more possible to do this and so these, uh, you know, these stories that wouldn't have gotten told like a few years back are now, they're now kicking their way into prominence, right? And, uh, and it's what's really great about Kickstarter and about that artist alley is that, um, you know, whatever niche you're into, you know, whatever story speaks to you, whether it's, uh, you know, this social pocket or, or, or you know, um, I mean, whether you're talking, you know, uh, race or socioeconomic or, 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 or gender issues or, or any of these things, the, these things that were taboo and, and these issues that were, it, it was hard to find, you know, if those are your issues, it was hard to find that reflected in comics, right? For a very long time. And that's not the case anymore. Like, like whatever your hot button issue is, go to Kickstarter and, and, and search and you're going to find a buffet, you know, of great work uh, from like, from, from really smart people who are doing incredible things. Um, and that's awesome. You know, I mean, uh, 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 we're living in like, you know, I mean, we're blessed in terms of, uh, of the access we have right now. Right. I mean, well, you don't have to hunt for it anymore. It's just there. And more importantly, I mean, to get back to our topic, people, we have people like Jason and Kristen who are helping yeah. people find that stuff yeah. because yeah, they don't, you know, Dynamite is not taking out a billboard in Times Square for Elvira meets Vincent Price. Yeah. Shocking, but they're not. <laughs> it is shocking. And, uh, 
and that's just the the truth of it. And you know, whatever your readership is, whatever your listenership is, you know, I will freely admit I am a podcast whore. Unless I look up the podcaster and they're an objectionable human being, I'll do it. And you know, sometimes I sometimes I finish up a podcast and my wife says, How did that go? And I was like, I bet I hooked at least one new reader. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, this person has at least 15 people listen to their podcast, and one of them, by golly, is gonna buy a comic book. But ultimately, you have to do it. No one's booking me on, you know, Stephen Colbert. So you know, you, 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 you should not only do it, but you have to do it with a certain degree. You got to do it with a smile on your face. You yeah. cannot be begrudging with your time, you know, getting back to my, what can you do for comics? You know, and part of that is, and be generous, you know, be generous with other people. Talk about other people's comics, talk about, you know, raise up the stuff that you're reading that you think is great. When I started writing comics, I had not really been actively reading them. I have gone through periods of being, you know, stopping and starting. And even to this day, I mostly read stuff that's made by people I like personally or know personally. Sure. I mean, sometimes it's cart horse. Sometimes I meet a creator because I walked up to them in a con and say, I love that comic you're doing. Uh, sometimes it's someone who I'm friends with has a new comic and I will read that. I actually have a hard time understanding how anyone in this industry has the energy or time to read comics. I have a to read pile. The Kickstarter pile alone is colossal. Uh, but yeah, I, do my I, get, best. I get about at least 80 review copies a week, at least. Wow. Probably more. I haven't really even counted, but you know, you get like... 15 from Marvel this week and, you know, boom has six out. IDW has got nine. IDW has a lot of uh, trade paperbacks coming up next weekend, next week. Um, but yeah, they just keep coming through. And then, you know, then you get into the more indie stuff, the, the Kickstarters and, and you just have this. Suicide Jockey is number two. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Don't miss that. Suicide Jockey's number two Wednesday, uh, September 29th from source point president, Ryland Grant, of course, don't forget. David Avalone's work in Elvira Meets Vincent Price number three. Previews World currently has it as October 27th. But check your local comic shop and make comments for any update. I could be wrong. But yeah, you know what? It's, we've had a lot of fluctuation and, and dates, yeah. you know, over the last year and a half. So it's not, you know, it's not too far out of, uh, uh, out of reach. And, yeah. Um, I but, have you definitely know, learned my lesson to reach out to a comic book store on Tuesday and say, "Hey, did you get uh, Elvira? Because I was going to swing by, but uh, I want to make sure you actually received your package from right, Diamond right. or whoever." Um, but yeah, it's you know, it's a giant industry. It's a giant media, you know, medium with a zillion people doing great work in it, and you will, you know. The heartbreak is you'll never you'll never catch up and read all of the great stuff, right? Uh, but yeah, that's why there's a lot out there, and yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things that we've really, I've been fortunate that I don't really have someone controlling what I do. I've been given the you know free range to do what I want with comic promotion. Everything I I, I come up with is just all me, 
And but I'm always thinking of new ways. How can how, how can we improve on this? How can we further? You know, it was like in 2016, our articles start carrying links to every creator that's named in an article. And then how we build upon that. Well, now let's create every way you can find them online, so, on social media. You can find out more of their stuff. And then I started doing previews and reviews that include ways to purchase online. Here's these links, you know, things from another world has it. Midtown Comics has it. That trying to give these people more and more ways to reach out and connect with these creators, these publishers, places to go to find it. I think at least I know with Pop Code HQ and with me, uh, it's important that that be the focus for us to promote the best way we can, but continue to look for new and exciting ways that don't don't follow maybe a, a simple mold that a lot of the big companies have. And do whatever. So you know, let's have some fun with it. Let's 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 celebrate this this medium, this uh, you know these these titles and these projects uh, the best way that we can, and we kind of have that responsibility to as comic book industry uh, you know writers and and press. Uh, you know, we build relationships with publishers, PR, all these people, and. A lot of that is, you know, that connection that you're making uh, behind the scenes. You know, I'm talking with Anthony Blackwood at Marvel. I'm talking with, you know, uh, Esther Kim at Boom Studios. Um, you start building that relationship there and uh, you get that appreciation and, and it adds some value to what you're doing. And it just makes you want to do more. Like, how can I do more for these people? They're spreading it around on social media. They're sharing it. We're getting tagged. I don't really care if that happens or not on the grand scale of things, but I know that's going to help increase the exposure uh, for whatever it is we're promoting. So, you know, that's in the back of our mind the whole time. We want to definitely do what we can to make people and their project as visible as we can, because we have a platform where we can, and we don't have our hands tied um, keeping us from doing something outside the outside of the box and uh, run of the mill. Absolutely. You were saying that uh, was the nom the first uh, comic that got you excited about comics when you were a kid? Oh, no, no. Cause I think that where they come in 84, 85. So it might've, uh, cause I think I got in 83. I thought it was some X-Men. I think X-Men were really first caught my eye. They only had Marvel comics at this at this mini mart at the time, but um, no. But that's where I did get like when Transformers put out their first four issue limited series, um, like Ninja Turtles. Even uh, what about ad adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters? Mm -hmm. Ultimate parody comic, uh, you know, just just fun stuff. So, uh, like you said, there's so much out there. And too much. I, mean, I have tons of comics I haven't even read, just stacked up and not even organized. But, um, you know, I'm a comic fan. So it's not just my job to put this stuff out there. It's stuff that I get to put some of me in and show my love for, for what this industry and the people in it. Some incredibly wonderful people, talented, intelligent uh very artistic savvy uh and really 
flush with a lot of experience, like what it's like going on the road, doing conventions week after week. You know, you go to Emerald City and then go right to C- C2E2 next week. It blow your okay. mind. But it's there's so much to that. And, it, and it's, uh, it's, it's fun to be a part of and, and see the larger picture that is the comic book industry. And, and we're just thankful we have a, uh, a platform that we can uh, provide that to our, uh, to our fans and followers. You, you guys reminded me. Uh, well, well, IDW did this like definitive collection of Reflaming the World's Toughest Smoke Band. And so it's, like got, you know, it's got all the original, Yeah, it's got all the original issues, but then there's a lot of like commentary and little, you know, uh, histories and stuff like that. But this is a, this is like an amazing book and it's, it's hefty. Um, so if you have not read Reed Fleming, go grab that. Uh, you know, perhaps at uh, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Uh, Kristen, what was the first comic that get, got you excited about comic books? Do you remember? So, okay. Uh, my uncle was and still is really into comics. And so he uh, was like 18 when I was born. He ended up just become, becoming my babysitter. So I started reading his comics. And he had a subscription box at Hole in the Wall Books. Um, they just went out of business last year, which was heartbreaking. But um, but they had spinner racks and all that kind of stuff. But the sub, the sub box was like so cool. Um, so I loved, like, I, th- I really liked Spider-Man, but then when my uncle's like, hey, why don't you open up your own sub box? The first one I subbed to was Judge Dredd. <laughs> it was wow. really new. Like, I think it had just come from England, and, I mean, I didn't know that at the time, but I was like, this looks really cool. And so, like, I think that's one of the times that I was like, comics are amazing, because, you know, I'd read Batman, Spider-Man, all the stuff that my uncle had, but then to find out that there was stories like this, you know? So, like, that's what I vividly remember the most. And I remember the guy behind the counter going, really cool. <laughs> you know, right. this 10 year old girl, like, Oh yeah. Comic yeah. That's judge, judge dread is definitely not your cliche 10 year old girl comic. Right. Yeah. Uh, at but, all. You know, maybe not that's because a lot of 10 year old girls weren't exposed to it. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of that stereotyping, uh, you know, that even that retailers do. Yeah. that everyone does about what they think you're likely to enjoy. Right. Um, and the great thing is, you know, like Ryland with Reed Fleming, like the, the comic book sh- retailer taking a minute to figure out who you are and going, oh, you know what? You know, when I started reading comics again in the early aughts, uh, I had dipped out for a while and talked to a guy at a comic book shop and he was like, you know, uh, John, Con- you know, oh, you're an 80s guy. John Constantine Hellblazer has actually gotten good again. So okay. you're probably going to like to, you, know, you could jump right back in. It's been 150 issues later. Nice. But, yeah, you know, original, jump in. Those the original ones. Jump in. Yeah. It's great now. Uh, and it was at the time. And I think I ended up reading it for another 50, 60 issues. And, uh, but yeah, taking the time to sort of curate specifically for the audience. I think too many times, you know, the cliche bad retailer is all about, this is what I like and everything that you like is garbage. (laughs) And, you know, it's, I think one of the great, a maturity that settles over you with age, at least it certainly helped with mine. It's great to know when things aren't for you. Yeah. And that's fine. I watched the first season of Supergirl because I enjoy all things Superman and I enjoyed it. But about five, six episodes in, I went, I am not 
this is a very CW soap opera show with the occasional superhero plot line. I right. am not the audience for this. Right. It's fine that it exists. I'm happy that it exists. And for the people that need this and want it, it's the greatest thing in the world. That doesn't have to be me. Right. Uh, I'll watch the Superman show about the married couple. <laughs> you know, uh, that one's that one's aimed at me, even though it has it still has some teenagers on it. Um, you know, so it's just it's perfectly fine when they make the thing that's not for you. I I, I was on a uh, because of the Betty Page thing. It's a Facebook group of Rocketeer fans, and about five. Yeah. I don't remember how many years ago. When Disney announced they were doing the one, the cartoon about the little black girl who is the Rocketeer, they lost their shit. And I was like, guys, this is a children's show. Yeah. You are not, you're a bunch of middle-aged men who are worshiping this Raiders of Lost Ark-esque. It isn't a franchise. There were maybe eight issues, yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. And there was one movie and, you know, Dave Stevens passed away and the, the authentic version of it passed off into history and other people have done good work with it but if someone meant to make a version of it for for grammar school girls you don't have to watch that it's right. be, it's cool you know just don't right. don't watch it i got know? a lot of that especially at the comic shop with um people coming in and being like oh my god i can't believe they made thor a woman i'm like well you know, if 30 years ago, try, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then they're like, no. And I'm like, well, you know, if you don't want to give it a try, I respect that. And Thor didn't go anywhere. There's still your Thor. You don't have to like this new thing. It hasn't ruined your old thing. Captain America went Hydra, like in the one story arc. He's not a Nazi. You guys calm down. We didn't right. destroy your childhood. You know, it's like people, it, it's weird. And then with Star Wars, especially a lot of people would come in and be like, oh, I hate the last Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you're 45. It was made for children. We like so <laughs> yeah. No, that's you know? when people ask me what I thought about Rise that's of Skywalker, true. I said it's a, is that it's a perfectly fine 21st century Star Wars movie. But you know, something that literally no one on earth can ever do is make me 12 years old, which is the age I was when I saw A New Hope. Actually, exactly. no, when I saw Star Wars, which was its one and only title of the one and only movie in, you know, at Menlo Park Tuplex in New Jersey in 1970, in June of 1977, I will never be 12 again. And you will, no movie in the world will ever do for me what that movie did for me when I was 12, because I will never be 12. And that's fine. Yeah. That is absolutely, I had the Star Wars I needed when I wanted it. You know, those movies are still there. I always make the joke, you know, in spite of what everyone has insisted, Chris Pine has yet to come to my house to shred my DVD of The Wrath of Khan. Everybody told me he was going to do it. Uh, maybe him, maybe Zachary Quinto. Someone was going to show up and shred my Blu-ray of Star Trek The Motion Picture or whatever. But apparently uh, that was a lie. Uh, my wife was very disappointed. But, uh, you know, that's the... And the <laughs> thing is, you should be enthusiastic. Like, if the five-year-old version of The Rocketeer isn't for you... Be excited for the five-year-old girl who gets their own Rocketeer. Exactly. How awesome for her. Mm -hmm. You know, would have been nice if I, you know, I would have liked the five-year-old version. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. And, and it's and it's unfortunate because, I mean, it doesn't put too much of a blemish on the, on, uh, the industry or anything. But it's, you know, just that toxicity. 
But like when they first brought out um, Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan. Oh, here's a teenage Pakistani, you know, uh, superhero, uh, you know, from New Jersey. And people are like, what? what? You know, and all this stuff. It's part of the evolution of these universes, of these industries, of this, of the, uh, of the IPs that we're going to build new characters. We're going to have, you know, more than, look, my favorite com comic is Green Lantern. And that's like it from Marvel or DC. Everything else is like indie. But like there's been a number, there's 2,600 Green Lanterns. So, you know, there's probably some, you know, some lanterns you don't like. Um, but it's, and that's what's nice is that it's a large enough industry and there's enough out there for whatever you do enjoy. I know when we do reviews, it's important. I've always, always told my writers that it's important that you come in objectively, whatever you're, you know, whether you're a fan of it or not. And I mean, I've done books, uh, reviewed books from like EMET comics and it's like an all female, uh, publishing group. So all titles are done by complete, you know, female, female, um, creative teams. And I was like, wow, you know, maybe the story wasn't really kind of my thing, but I appreciate that collaboration and, and seeing certain things, you know, you're trying all these different things. I've done kids books. I've done, you know, gory books that you just kind of have to have an open mind. And, and, um, some people don't quite have that. Uh, mm -hmm. it's really easy. You know, I need to take a stand and this is what I feel about this. Well, that's fine. You know, um, uh, we're not going to promote things like that, at least for, you know, I know for us at Popcorn HQ, we just want to give people the things that we're able to put out. Obviously, I can't put out everything. Um, I'm working at it. But um, just give the people options of things and letting them know what's out there. And so people can get away from whether it was the pandemic or if it's politics or whatever you know, workplace that they can enjoy something that they love and just, you know, soak that in for a three minute article, a 10 minute video, uh, you know, a quick review or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think we, we do have a greater percentage of people more in line with that and, and more that understand the industry and this medium does offer a lot for, for really anyone, you know, and you have to look at things like Kamala Khan and think, wow, what's that going to do for a young Pakistani girl who's struggling living in this country right now? You know, when they when they have characters come out as, as, as bi or, um, you know, as gay, you know, when I remember when North Star uh, in Alpha Flight came out as gay, it was like, ah! everyone was, <laughs> you know, this is in uh, what, the late 80s at that time. Um, but now it's like, you know, you're seeing gay weddings and things like that. It's just part of moving along in time with stuff that's happening in, in real time. We're advancing intellectually technology. That's why, you know, we can go on the internet and connect with all these people that before, you know, you would have to, you could purchase comic books in a comic book, but you'd have to wait for them to be shipped to you. And, you know, right. you. There was no TV commercials or whatever. Everything was by phone or so, or, or mostly by snail mail. So it's nice having all these things. And you just have to uh, understand that there's so many ways to promote projects that you're doing, ideas that you're having. 
to be creative, to, to come together artistically with people and put out things for people to enjoy. Um, find your niche, whatever it is. You'll definitely find it in this industry and probably in, in you know, way more than you probably even realized. I, I want to say as an aside that everyone, myself included, has a tendency to look at representation uh, for its effect on younger people because that's when it's really important in your development as a human being. But I remember um, a Latino friend of mine who's middle-aged responding to Rogue One and the character of Cassian Andor and saying, I have been a Star Wars fan since I was a teenager and I never thought I would hear that accent in a Star Wars movie. And it literally made tears roll down my yeah. face. And this was a 50 year old man, yeah. you know, and I cannot tell you how many lesbians of a certain age I have seen responding to Cassandra's announcement in her book, her telling the story in her book about her being involved with a woman the last 19 years. 19 years or whatever, yeah. It, it, you know, it's never too late to feel seen. Right. Uh, and anything you can do to help people feel seen. Uh, and I really feel that every time I watch Black Panther, I know that was huge for the African-American community. And they crushed it in that film. And it was just, you see these reaction videos on YouTube or people talking after coming out of the theater, just kids just embracing. There's a, there's a hero that looks like me now, you know, and there never has been. You know, people would complain that I had a Spider-Man costume on, but I was black. And it's like, well, you know what? Here's Miles Morales and here's, you know, some other different spider people, uh, you know, the Spider-Verse characters. And it's it's so exciting that it has become more accepted that these other, uh, you know, other religions, other uh, other races, other whatever are getting a chance to get some spotlight on themselves that it's not just, you know, a white superhero world. It's well, not it, just, you know, there are, you know, it, it people can be talk a hero. About, not to deflect entirely to this, this, uh, this, this particular topic, but people talk about it as a writer. It's something that I think is worth talking about, which is people talk about forced diversity. There is no such thing as forced diversity. The world is diverse. Mm -hmm. We have been forcing yeah. non-diversity on it. When I was a teen, I'm a big fan of Fellini. I would always hear people, you know, who were not particularly, you know, well-versed in film or whatever, talk about, oh, he's the guy whose movies have all the freaks. And you watch the movies and you go, these movies just have normal-looking human beings in them. I mean, they've also got Marcello Mastriani and Claudia Cardinale in them, so supernaturally attractive people are totally represented in his films. <laughs> but living among the supernaturally attractive people are overweight people and short people and tall people and homely people and less attractive. And it's like Fellini doesn't make movies with freaks. He makes movies that reflect actual lived human life in a way that Hollywood has never made movies that reflect actual lived human rights. And it just struck me as odd, even when I was a teenager and I would hear people, I would hear that rep, that that reputation for the films and go, but you're saying you've never met a overweight person in your life and it's weird to have them in movies. That's a, that is the strangest damn thing. 
but right. that's but that's we've been forcing this lack of diversity, this right. Nazi aesthetic on movies, television, on all media, forever and ever and ever. And the idea of like, yes, she, you know, by by sheer, uh, what's the word? By the law of averages, every superhero is not going to be a white man age thirty five. That's just that not every soldier right. is, not every cop is, not every lawyer is, not every doctor is, not every anything is. Mm -hmm. So yet this, and and I will say that when I, I'm old enough that when I was growing up, you had this in the back of your head, seriously. And if you wrote genre fiction, your leading character had to be a wasp male. Like I was in college and I suddenly went, you know what? I think I'm going to start giving my heroes Italian names because I have an Italian name. And why the hell? I mean, it's ironic to me that uh, I love Sam Jackson and I love his Nick Fury, but that basically erased the only Italian-American superhero. <laughs> like, the only guy who was conceivably Italian was Nick Fury from, you know, Brooklyn Hell's Kitchen, wherever, you know, whatever... Well, I always ha head cannon. Hasselhoff kind of ruined that a little bit, though, too. Well, right? yes, <laughs> that that is just as true. He wasn't particularly, awesome. he wasn't particularly Italian either, but it, you man. know, I cling to my Jewish Ben Grimm. Uh, you know, because uh, Jack Kirby could not be completely stopped from having having Jewish characters in comic books. On that lovely note, we should probably wrap up and let everybody get back to their regularly scheduled programming. But uh, we usually end with letting people know where they can be found and uh, what they're up to. So, uh, Jason, why don't you tell us where where people can find you on the interwebs? Okay. Uh, like I said, my name is Jason Bennett, chief editor and writer at Popcode HQ. We can be found at popcodehq.com and across all social media at Popcode HQ. Uh, we also have specific pages to comic books and cosplay if you just want uh, dedicated material uh, to those uh, to those coverage areas, and I personally can be found across all social media at Tahoe J Bennett. Feel free to DM me or email me if you have anything you're looking to promote, and uh, love to work with you and and see what we can do to to uh, you know get the word out there with uh, with the stuff that you're doing. So, and Kristen, cool. okay. So uh, you can uh, find me well at the podcast, um, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at NATP. Um, I am also on Twitter at KLU4973 and um, Facebook at Kristen Gallhofer uh, and Instagram at KLU4973. Thank we'll have you. all those links in the uh in the show notes uh, uh, if you missed any of that. Um, <laughs> before I get to my my uh, my downloads, um, I was looking through this bin where I had my Reed Fleming uh, uh, comics, and it has good company. I have my uh, my copy of Drawing Blood in there signed by uh, both Eastman and Avalone. Nice. Um, that's a pretty comic. I have my X-Men Milestones Editions signed by uh, right. Stan Lee. Nice. Pretty solid there. And Very oddly, nice. there is... Oddly, there is a "quote unquote" Bob Benson Guillaume uh, 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 record in the same box. <laughs> the streets are filled with dancing. <laughs> anyway, okay. if you're a Benson fan, I'm a huge Bob Guillaume guy. Little sports sign, anybody? 
But uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-C. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly saddled uh, me with it uh, years ago, and so now I have to spell it uh, for you. Um, but uh, my book, um, as I said, uh, Suicide Jockeys, issue two of Suicide Jockeys, hits comic shops uh, today as you are listening to this. Um, it is a bonkers tokusatsu ride. Uh, very enjoyable. You should go out and get it. And uh, as I said, we should have uh, a meaty review from uh, Tahoe J. Bennett uh, at Pop Cult HQ uh, uh, in the show notes. We'll get you, so, I'll get you the link. So, so if you want to know how it is, uh, uh, let's see what a, a, a top critic has to say about it. And while you're tooling around at popcultHQ.com, uh, um, you should click on the Shop uh, Cult HQ link uh, at the top of the page. And you should pick up our, our site-exclusive uh, uh, copies of, of the four-time Ringo-nominated Banjax and of the uh, Ringo Award-winning uh, Aberrant. Um, those are all there. Um, uh, you should get those. And if and you then, uh, in a search bar at Pop.HQ, if you type in Ryland Grant, you'll see what how much of a fanboy I am of his work. <laughs> I've put out a couple articles, to say the least. Um, a couple yeah, articles. It's the most obsessive, really. It's you know, <laughs> it, it may be an issue, but we haven't really you know talked on it. So I'm I think Ryland and I have both, Ryland and I both invited on our biggest fans for this episode. So <laughs> that uh, that that was that was craven on my part, but you know, well, David, meeting you. I that's one of the things I remember uh, right before the pandemic. One of the, the last people that I saw was uh, well, both Ryland and David. And uh, it was my first time meeting David and uh, getting to talk with him and interview. And back then in January of 2020, right, that at was Long a long Beach Comic Expo, yeah. uh, you told me off the record that you just uh, come up with the uh, Vincent Price Elvira crossover. And so yep. I've been like holding, I'm just waiting for it. And then like everything shut down. I'm like, man, is this thing ever going to come out? And then. No, I, was you know, just, this is a, I was just finishing uh, writing the first episode, the first the issue it, but, um, uh, at that con. And then I wrote the second issue and then pencils down. And then like a year later, they're like, okay, you can write the other two issues. Right. <laughs> so it took a while. Uh, sure, sure. I can be found at uh, davidavalonefreelance.com. That branches off to all of the various social medias and podcasts and what have you? I, I host another podcast called Pulp Today, where I, I and sometimes a guest read from classic uh, paperback novels. I lean into the idea that pulp just means printed on cheap paper. It can be anything from the Odyssey to Shakespeare, if uh, if it if it was in a crappy paperback at some point. And uh, that's called Pulp Today, and you can find that on YouTube and on the iTunes and the Spotify's and what have you. And uh, until next time. Thank you for joining us on the writer's block. Take it easy, guys. Thank you, David. Thank you, Ryland. Appreciate having you. Nice to meet you, Kristen. Thank you for all what you do. Thank Our you. pleasure. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com.
Thanks for listening.